Welcome to TSX Quarterly, the podcast that brings you publicly available earnings calls from companies listed on the Toronto Stock Exchange in one convenient location. Gone are the days of looking through confusing websites. You'll find the important information right here. Enjoy the call. Ready to begin. Thank you all for joining us this morning. Before I turn the call over, I need to advise that certain statements made during this call today may contain forward-looking information and actual results could differ from the conclusions or projections in that forward-looking information, which include, but are not limited to, statements with respect to the estimation of mineral reserves and resources, the timing and amount of estimated future production, cost of production, capital expenditures, future metal prices, and the cost and timing of the development of new projects. For a complete discussion of the risks and uncertainties and factors which may lead to actual financial results and performance being different from the estimates contained in the forward-looking statements, please refer to Yamana's press release issued yesterday announcing third quarter 2020 results, as well as the management's discussion and analysis for the same period and other regulatory filings in the Canada and United States. I would like to remind everyone that this conference call is being recorded and will be available for replay today at 12 o'clock p.m. Eastern Time. Replay information and the presentation slides accompanying this conference call and webcast are available on Yamana's website at yamana.com. I will now turn the call over to Mr. Daniel Russin, President and CEO. Thank you, Melanie. Thank you all for joining us and welcome to our third quarter conference call. With me today is Jason LeBlanc, our CFO, and Henry Marsden, our Senior VP of Exploration. Let me start by thanking again all our employees, contractors, suppliers, and their family for their effort keeping our operations safe in these difficult times. First, as always, let's talk about our health, safety, environment, and corporate responsibility. Our total recordable injury frequency rate was 0.4, representing a 31% improvement. Our social license to operate index, which is based on surveys conducted on our host communities, continues to show an increase in trust across all our operation. Evidence indicates that our COVID-19 response and engagement is a significant contributor to the improvement. We have, as I said on the Q2 call, engaged closely with our host communities since the early stage of the pandemic to understand their needs and help them address those needs. We've provided various donations along with thousands of masks, gloves, hand sanitizer, respirators, and other medical equipment and critical supplies. And we will continue to do everything we can to support our community's partner through this challenging period. During the quarter, the Jacobina Mine was named one of the 10 best places to work in the province of Bahia by the Great Place to Work Institute. The Canadian Malartic Mine received two awards. The first, the F.G. O'Connell Trophy for the Quebec, from the Quebec Mining Association, which recognized the operation for improvement in the operation's health and safety records compared to the industry average. The second was the Sustainable Development and Environment Award from the Valdor Chamber of Commerce. We are proud of these recognitions, which tell us we are doing the right things in critical areas of our business, like health, safety, sustainability, environmental stewardship, and talent management. Turning now to the Q3 highlights, we delivered another strong quarter, both operationally and financially. We produced 201,772 ounces of gold during the quarter, supported by standout quarter from Jacobina, Canadian Malartic, El Pinion, and Minera Florida. Silver production was just above 3 million ounces due to an exceptionally strong performance from El Pinion. Geo production was 240,466,000 ounces exceeding plan as a result of strong gold and silver production. Cash costs of 723 per geo and all-in sustaining costs of 1096 per geo were in line with annual guidance. Sustaining capital increased during the quarter as expected after declining in Q2 
while Sewamoro and Canadian Malartic ramp up following temporary suspensions due to COVID-19 related restrictions. We expect Q4 to be our strongest production quarter of the year, and as such, cost per ounce will decrease. Net earning during the quarter was 55.6 million or six cents per share. Adjusted net, net earning was 92.9 million or 10 cents per share. Cash flows from operating activities were 215 million and 237 million on an adjusted basis. Cash flow were at a multiple I, and that includes higher production periods where we own operations that have since been sold or discontinued. Cash flows from operating activities before net change in working capital were 199 million or 221.1 million on an adjusted basis. Cash flow before dividends and debt repayment were 156.8 million. As of September 30th, the company had cash and cash equivalent of 474.2 million, an increase of 149.4 million from the end of Q2. We have significant cash, sufficient cash on end, and liquidity through our current cash balances and incoming cash flow to fully manage the business and found growth within, without having to borrow. This includes, but it's not limited to obligation related to the Jacobina plan expansion, development of the Odyssey underground project at Canadian Malartic, generative exploration, development of the integrated Aguarica and Alumbrera project, and further balance sheet improvement, all while having access fund to dedicate to possible other opportunities and dividend increases. Subsequent to the quarter, we have announced that we will be increasing our annual dividend by a further 50% to 10.5 cents per share, effective in Q4. That is 425% higher than our dividend level just 18 months ago. Jason will talk more about our dividend and dividend policy during his remarks. Subsequent to the quarter, we also increased production guidance. Our geo forecast for this year is now 915,000 ounces compared to the previous guidance of 890,000 ounces. This includes a 1% increase to our previous gold production forecast and a 6% increase to our previous silver forecast. Looking at our operation, Jacobida had another strong quarter with production just above 44,000 ounces. The higher production resulted from the mill, again achieving a higher-than-planned steady-state throughput of 6,800 tons per day. I'll provide an update on the mines optimization project in a moment. At El Pinion, gold, produ gold production was strong during Q3, while silver production greatly exceeded plan due to the processing of higher-grade silver ore. While silver grades are expected to normalize in Q4, we anticipate higher gold grade in the quarter due to increased underground production and lower stockpile reclaim, as well as mining from higher grade gold grade sectors. Canadian Malartic posted a strong production of 76,398 ounces of gold due to higher throughput and feed grade. Barnett produced 13,305 ounces of pre-commercial production gold during the quarter, and its successful ramp-up resulted in the Barnett deposit declaring commercial production on September 30th. The Sewamogo mine and processing plant is operating at full capacity as of September 30th, following the temporary government restriction related to COVID-19 and the subsequent ramp-up. The plant has now returned to its optimized 1,000 to 1,150 tons per day, which is expected to be maintained going forward. The transition to underground ore with higher grade is expected to continue in Q4 and drives substantially higher production and lower costs. Minerac Florida continued to perform well, with results driven by higher feed grade and increased ton process largely due to continuing improvement in productivity 
with contribution from Paraguas and Don Leopoldo zones. Turning to our strategic development and project updates, at our Agorica project in Catamarca, Argentina, we continue to advance the integration of Agorica with Alambrera and expect to complete the integration in Q4, after which the integrated project would be managed as a combined operation. To reiterate our excitement for this project, this is a very unique opportunity we have in front of us. Agorica is one of the largest undeveloped copper gold deposits in the world, and the integration with existing Alumbrera mine creates a de-risked brownfield project, with reduced capital requirement and reduced environmental footprint. We remain on track for our feasibility study result in 2021. As I mentioned, Q3 throughput at Jacobina averaged 6,800 tons per day. This was the second straight quarter that the mine achieved this milestone. While it's well above the target rate of 6,500 tons per day that we set for phase one of the Jacobina project. We've identified opportunities to further optimize results and recoveries achieved in the phase one with a modest investment. Work comments in Q3 for the expansion of the gravity concentration circuit with the objective of optimizing gold recovery at the higher throughput. Commissioning is scheduled for mid-2021. As considerable technical work which support the viability of the Phase two expansion has already been completed, the company intends to advance the project following the completion of the feasibility study in mid-2021. The permitting process is also underway. Like mentioned before, the phase two expansion will increase throughput to 8,500 tons per day and take the annual gold production to 230,000 ounces. At Canadian Malartic construction of the surface infrastructure, offices, and the ramp portal to the underground project is well underway, with the ramp development into Odyssey and East Malartic scheduled to start in November. The exploration ramp will allow tighter definition drilling on Odyssey, East Malartic, and East Goldie from underground rail platforms, and eventually be used for mining and haulage of ore from upper zones. This will allow us and potential production from Odyssey South, providing higher grade mill feed to complement the open pit production. The underground project, as you may have seen from our press release this week, is continuing to advance with excellent drill results reported from East Goldie. We are very encouraged by the result and excited by the potential for this project. Our exploration team is doing an outstanding job both at our existing operation and on our generative project, and Henry will talk more about this in a moment. As a complement to the advancement of these internal opportunities, we will evaluate the acquisition or investment in prospective exploration opportunities that align with our objective for capital allocation and financial result, direction, quality, geology, and operational expertise. Such opportunity would meet minimum requirement to achieve mineral reserve and mineral reserves inventories of at least 1.5 million ounces, supporting a mine life of at least eight years at 150,000 ounces per year production rate. Before ending off to Henry, I also want to highlight that on October 13, we began trading on the main market of the London Stock Exchange, adding another senior exchange for trading to our existing listing in Toronto and New York, and further expanding our public market profile. We're excited to be entering this market and look forward to sharing our story in the UK and Europe and building relationship with the investment community there. And with that, I will turn it over to Henry to provide an update on exploration. Thank you, Daniel. I'll start with a high-level overview of our generative exploration program. We have currently built large land positions in all the countries where we operate, and the generative program targets our most highly prospective areas. This includes both advanced and earlier stage projects wherever we see district-scale potential. A key objective of the program is to add a new inferred mineral resource of at least one and a half million ounces of gold within three years, where it would support the corporate objective of a potential production platform that can produce 150,000 ounces per year. 
given the pipeline we have of quality projects and the strong corporate commitment to organic growth, we do expect to be able to meet this objective. As Daniel mentioned, as an extension of the strategy, we also actively evaluate opportunities to acquire advanced stage exploration assets as long as they align with our corporate objectives. Now I'll move to a quick update on some of the uh, key projects in the program. At Monument Bay, located in Manitoba, Canada, the drilling program to test the depth extension of high-grade chutes at Twin Lakes is ongoing with one drill hole completed in a quarter and two further deep holes pending. There's a 16,000-metre drill program planned for the winter as a first step in developing a high-grade, potentially underground resource at this project. At Labradoveia, which is an advanced exploration project located in Bahia, Brazil, Drilling to date in 2020 focused on the Labravea South and Southwest zones, located immediately south of the established resource. Results are positive to date, and we expect to add to the resource base of offside mineralization by year-end. Exploratory drilling is continuing in Q4. The Jacobina Norte project is also located in Bahia State, located just a few kilometers north of the Jacobina mine. This project covers 70 kilometers of favorable geology that extends north from the mine site. Given the prolific geological setting, good surface results, we expect this to become a flagship exploration project for the company. During the year, surface work is defined a 4.3 kilometer strike of mineralized reefs at Baracon, one of our high priority targets. Exploratory drilling on this target was initiated in Q3 and will continue to the end of the year. Further surface exploration is also underway, and we expect to generate additional drill targets as we explore the 70-kilometer extent of Yamana's exploration concessions covering this favorable geological basin. Finally, in the general at Borborema, located in Brazil's Pernambuco state, drilling in Q3 extended the core massive sulfide zone that we discovered last year. We've extended the zone to the east, and we now see 800 meters of strike defined by drilling and the original surface discovery. Exploration will continue both on the known intercepts on the massive sulfide zone, but we're also going to be testing other copper gold soil anomalies in this large project to try to better define the size and the nature of the asset. I'm going to turn now to our exploration programs at our producing mine sites. As you may have seen, and as Daniel mentioned, we issued an exploration update on Wednesday for Canadian Malarctic. Exploration in Q3 focused on infill drilling at East Goldie, a recently discovered zone that we announced last year that significantly expanded the gold mineral resource base at Canadian Malarctic. We completed 38,000 metres of drilling in Q3 at East Goldie, and the results have confirmed the expected grades and width of the zone, and we're also seeing that the zone remains open both at depth and along strike. The positive results provided confidence to proceed with an exploration round. And these results, as well as ongoing drilling to year-end, will be incorporated into a new resource model to form the basis for a PEA that we expect to see completed in 2021. The higher-grade East Goldie Zone is expected to significantly improve the economics of the consolidated Canadian Malarctic Underground Project. And these latest results represent a very significant step towards defining the project as a multi-million ounce deposit that would support a future long-life underground mine with a potential multi-hundred-thousand-ounce-per-year production platform. Moving to Jacobina, drilling was completed in the quarter at Canavira Sul and the Canavira Central Connector Zone, and this continued to provide positive results. This further expands the mineral envelope in one of the highest-grade parts of the mine. Also been working on the new zone, Jaubelo Sul, that extends the Jaubelo mine to the south, We've seen very good results from this zone, and it clearly has the potential to add inferred resources to the mine. At Cerro Moro, in the core mine area, exploration drilling has focused on the main Escondida Zoe structural corridor. We completed infill drilling and have also been testing new exploration targets based on new interpretations of the plunge of the mineralized envelope. Drilling also continues to test the numerous exploration targets that we have within the property in the near mine area although most results are still pending due to some slow assay turnaround times in Argentina at this point. In addition, surface work has identified an exciting new target for us, the Seleni vein, located in the northern section of the Cerro Moro land package. 
We've traced the vein on surface for over 11,000 meters, a significantly larger target than any other targets currently on the project. Surface assays from some sections of the vein have shown values from one gram per ton gold to as high as 15 grams per ton gold from selected grab and chip samples, providing drill-ready targets that we're going to expect to drill in Q4. I'll move now to El Peñon. We're seeing excellent exploration results at Peñon this year. Infill drilling has returned positive results from a number of sectors, especially from Pampa Campamento, El Valle, and the La Paloma veins, indicating very good potential in these areas for new indicated resources. We're most excited about the drilling success at Colorado Sur. It's demonstrating significant potential. We've got good drill results. We expect to add to inferred resources. But much of the strike on the depth extent of the zone has not yet been drill tested, and we see excellent potential for growth into a significant new mineralized zone for the mine. At Minera, Florida, infill during the quarter cut significant results as well. We're seeing good numbers from a number of veins, including several high-grade new intercepts in Pataiwa and Don Leopoldo, as well as positive results from Polverin and Maflor, indicating good potential for new resources in all of these areas. Exploration at La Florida has been able to consistently expand the mineral envelope, both to the east and the west of the core mine, indicating a strong future for this asset. I'll now turn it over to Jason to discuss the financials. Thank you, Henry, and uh, good morning, everyone. Turning now to our financial performance. Revenue in the quarter was $439.4 million, compared to $357.8 million in the same period of 2019, a 23% increase. However, gross margins, excluding DDNA, rose 40% to $272.8 million as costs were pretty much in line with last year. GNA costs in the quarter were essentially flat at $21.4 million. Earnings during the quarter were $0.06 cents per share compared to $0.21 cents per share a year earlier. Prior year earnings benefited from a one-time $273.1 million gain from the Chapata sale. So on an adjusted basis, net earnings doubled to $0.10 cents per share from $0.05 cents last year. Total CapEx across all categories was about $62 million during Q3 as we bounced back from COVID delays in Q2, although we still had some spending delays in Q3. For Q4, I expect capital spending to be above the levels of Q3. The same will also be true of expiration expenses. But despite the higher capital in Q4, we expect a meaningful increase in production such that unit, unit costs will be the lowest of the year. We'll see a, a bigger drop in cash costs versus ASIC because with ASIC, as I mentioned, we'll have the higher CapEx. But we expect our ASIC over 2H to be between the 1020 and 1060 per GEO that we recently reguided. Coming back to CapEx, one category to point out, though, is on the expansionary capital side that benefited from the margin associated with pre-commercial ounces from Barnett and Malarctic. As Barnett only declared commercial production on September 30th, the margin during the quarter from its pre-commercial production of approximately $13.5 million was treated as a reduction in our expansionary capital for the quarter during Q3. Starting in Q4, sales from Barnett will flow through the income statement instead of being capitalized. Quarterly cash flows continue to rise, with cash flows from operating activities climbing to $215 million and cash flows before net change in working capital of $199 million. That compares to $157.4 million and $152.4 million, respectively, in the prior year quarter. Looking back to Q2 this year, cash flow in the quarter has more or less doubled. These cash flows included COVID costs of $8.6 million for the quarter, down from about $19 million in Q2. For Q4, we expect to see a further drop in these costs. But to give a clear representation of the cash flows for Q3, if we adjust for these COVID costs and the margin associated with the pre-commercial ounces at Malartic that I mentioned on the prior slide, the normalized cash flows from operations would have been approximately $237.1 million and before working capital movements would have been approximately $221.1 million. As Daniel noted, cash flows from operating activities hit a multi-year high including periods with higher production attributable to mines no longer in the portfolio. Free cash flow before dividends and debt repayments rose to $156.8 million and marked the sixth straight quarter of positive free cash flow generation for the company. Combined with cash on hand and the free cash flow that we're generating, we will see the balance sheet continue to improve while at the same time having the flexibility to invest 
in the organic growth opportunities in the portfolio, including the Jacobina Phase II expansion, the underground at Malarctic, and longer term, the integrated Agarica project. But beyond that, also being able to build excess funds for other opportunities and consider further dividend increases. Said simply, we see an excellent balance and flexibility among our capital allocation priorities. In the shorter term, that strong operating cash flow we're generating has translated to reductions in net debt, while at the same time we've been increasing our dividend. In particular, on the balance sheet, net debt decreased during the quarter by $148.9 million to $619.1 million, a level that we haven't had going all the way back to the start of 2013. This advances our objective of achieving a positive net cash balance sheet and creating further capital allocation flexibility. Cash a quarter end total $474.2 million. Contributing to the ending cash balance during the quarter, we also sold marketable securities, mainly 1.2 million Equinox Gold shares for proceeds of approximately $18 million. For Q4, we expect another solid free cash flow quarter that will lead to growing cash balances. Despite the, the higher capital spending in Q4 that I mentioned, we'll also have our best quarter on production as an offset. Our revolving credit facility is fully undrawn as we repay the outstanding $100 million on our $750 million facility toward the end of October. We drew down $200 million during the first quarter of 2020 as a precaution due to COVID and we repaid the first $100 million in Q2. Subsequent to quarter end, as Daniel mentioned, we also announced a further 50% increase to our annual dividend, bringing it to 10.5 cents per share, which is 425% higher than just 18 months ago. On a per ounce basis, the dividend rate is about $100 per GEO, which is now the new dividend floor. Consistent with our dividend policy and sustainability objectives, we have sufficient cash reserves to support payment of the dividend at the increased level for three years. And our cash reserve fund provides us with the flexibility to pay the dividend at the new floor for an extended period, even during low gold prices. While we will continue to reflect our dividend on a per share and a per GEO basis, we will no longer be providing a range for our dividends on a per GEO basis level. Going forward, any increases above the new dividend floor will be based entirely on cash flows and cash generation capacity of the company. As our cash flows and cash balances increase, our dividend will rise correspondingly as a percentage of those cash flows. And now with that, I will hand the call back over to Daniel. Thank you, Jason. In closing, I'll leave you with a few takeaways. We are now well into our historically strongest quarter and executing exceptionally well in what we believe is the early stages of a secular bull cycle for gold. Production in Q4 is planned to be higher than Q3, meaning our all-in sustaining costs and cash costs will be significantly lower also. Our cash flow and cash balances are rising, eating multi-year high in the last latest quarter, significantly improving our financial flexibility. As a result, we are well positioned to invest in growth while continuing to increase shareholder returns as evidenced by the recently announced 50% increase to our dividend. And with that, we'll be happy to take your question. Operator? Thank you. We will now take questions from the telephone lines. If you have a question and you're using a speakerphone, please lift your handset before making your selection. If you have a question, please press star 1 on your device's keypad. If at any time you wish to cancel your question, please press the pound sign. Please press star 1 at this time. If you have a question, there will be a brief pause by the participants register. Thank you for your patience. The first question is from Fahad Tariq of Credit Suisse. Please go ahead. Your line is now open. Hi. Good morning. Thanks for taking my questions. Um, first, on Sarah Morrill, I think it was a positive update that uh, you're back to uh, call it run rate throughput at the end of September. Um, one of your gold competitors, also in the same country, is having far more difficulty in running well below capacity. Can you talk a little bit about what you're doing differently at at Ceramoro to maybe mitigate some of the COVID-related impact? And uh, the second part of the question, what's, what's kind of the run rate company-wide for COVID costs going forward? Thanks. Well, good morning, Fad. Good question. 
So for Cerro Moro, uh, as you, you all know, we had quite a long ramp up uh, because of uh, transport restriction. But we were able through the quarter to, to mitigate that. One of the things we have done is the, we have improved the, uh, the runway, the, uh, the airplane landing at uh, Puerto Deseado. So, so our employees coming from outside the province, now we flew them to uh, Puerto Deseado so it's easier to have them to site. Uh, all our employees are tested before they go to shift change. So each 14 days we have a, a shift change at uh, Cerro Moro. So with time, we have improved the way we're doing this. So everybody needs to have a negative test before going to the mine site. We're having a lot less people at the mine site, too, uh, to be honest. You know, all our uh, staff on administration mostly are working from home. So we have established make sure that they can do their work from home. So only people that needed to go to site are going to site. We have increased our, uh, you know, uh, uh, number of employees coming from Santa Cruz, so we had before around 30% from uh, employees coming from outside. We moved many of them into the province to avoid the uh, the problem with uh, transportation. But also we have hired more people locally. So this is why, as uh, I mentioned before, and I mentioned in the uh, the, the the call earlier, by the end of the sem September we will fully back into production at. Uh, at uh, Cerro Moro. I don't know for Cerro Negro, Negro, it's the same province, but it's further north, so maybe there was more difficulty for, for, for people. But in our case, the run rate is, uh, like I mentioned, uh, between 1,000 and 1,150 tons per day, so we're fully back to production. Regarding the second part, uh, maybe Jason can, can answer, but the run rate, like we said, it's going to be a lot higher than it was for sure in Q2 and in, in Q2 for COVID costs. Yeah, and on on the cost side, I guess I, I had mentioned um, we'll see. We saw the, the decrease in those COVID costs between Q2, Q3. We'll we'll see that uh, carry on into Q4, and really the Cerro Moro will be the operation that will have some of those lingering lingering costs. Um, and you know, it's from transportation, as, as Daniel said, we'll c continue to spend that money. We think it makes sense to to improve the uh, the certainty of getting people in in and out, and then also we've we've physically moved people. Into uh, into the province instead of transporting them back and forth, so there's some additional costs on that. So, you know, I think it's probably a, a couple million dollars for the time being. I would say to slot in at Cerro uh, Mora for those costs, but that, that that you know that helps assure our ability to hit, hit those uh, full throughput rates that we're achieving right now. Okay, great. So the so the 5.7 million of incremental costs that you incurred in Q3 for company wide is that like a good run rate going forward as well? No, we should see a little bit lower than that. Of the five seven, you know, I think just a little, little under half of that was attributable to, to Cerro Moro, and I expect Cerro Moro to, to really be the bulk of that. Prospectively, uh, you know, next in line is, is El Pinon, and that's similar, just just transportation there. Uh, most of the other operations, we're seeing these costs really fade away. Okay, got it. Okay, and then the last question from me. Um, on slide eleven, you mentioned um, acquisition of earlier stage development assets. Any geographic preference, um, like uh, anything you can provide on that? Any of the four countries we are working in right now, Fat. So, uh, you know, we, we like Canada, Argentina, Brazil, and Chile. And if there's opportunity there, then we're going to look at them. Sure, our first priority is our expansion project, both at uh, Jacobina and Canadian Malartic, and also our, ex you know, our uh, generative exploration program, like. Uh, and we mentioned we think there's at least uh, one mine that will be uh, happen uh, within the next uh, three years uh, with these uh, these uh, exploration projects. But on top of that, if there's any good opportunities in the, the four countries we are, we're going to look at them now. Okay, that's clear. Thank you very much. Thank you. The next question is from Ralph Profiti of 8 Capital. Please go ahead. Uh, good morning, everyone. Thanks for taking my questions. Um, two of them, please. One on capital allocation and, and maybe one on Canadian Malartic, Daniel. Um, the first one should, when you lay out the generative exploration uh, strategy, are, are you looking at this as a dedicated pool of capital that, that's going to get put to work? Because 
we see the cash reserve fund and we see the dividend strategy as sort of these very structured frameworks. And I'm just wondering, is your approach to, to generative exploration along the same lines? And, and maybe you can give us an indication of how much capital will be put to this uh, over the next few years. Yeah, thank you, uh, Ralph. Good morning. It's uh, it's a good question. Yes, it is. Uh, it is very well aligned. We have 53 million over the, the next three years. So there was 14 million in 2020. And there's a two, 20 million dollar next year, and the rest to the 53 in 2022. So it's very structured. We have these seven projects. We have many projects in the company, but we choose the the, the best seven. And this is where we're going to uh, focus our attention in the next uh, three years. And then, like we mentioned many times, we think one of these seven projects will generate uh, what we're looking for, so 1.5 million ounces of potential at least, and then to be able to produce 150,000 ounces per year. So that's really clear. Our objective is very, is very clear on the, that generative exploration program. We'll see after uh, what will happen. And, and then, yes, it is a separate budget than the rest of the exploration. That doesn't touch the exploration we're doing at our mine site. It's, it's really separate from that. Okay, okay, got it. Um, let me switch to uh, Canadian Malartic. Um, Daniel, where is the Q4 drilling uh, at eSchooly going to be focused on? Is this continuing to be infill? And, and how far is the team away from testing convergence at depth between um, uh, you know, East Malartic and, and East Goldie, and, and when possibly could we receive results from that testing? Henry? Uh, yeah, thanks, Ralph. Good question. Um, the drilling in Q4 will focus on simply infilling around the envelope that sort of shows up on that longitudinal section. Yeah. We're also doing some 75-meter space drilling in kind of the core upper part of the deposit. Um, so at the end of that, we expect to see a reasonably high confidence inferred resource and a few areas in which we'll see a slightly uh, higher confidence level at that 75 meters. Uh, we're quite a long way from testing the convergence, and I don't see us doing that within the year or probably even in uh, 2021. What we're seeing are some fairly high-grade zones that we can actually project uh, up-dip, uh, especially to the, to the east. And we have a positive drill hole out to the east of the main East Goldie zone, a significant step out of about 200 meters. So we're simply going to focus on growing that core zone. Uh, it's remarkably continuous. Um, so we'll simply just be stepping out and growing that core zone as much as possible rather than focusing on deeper drilling down to the convergence area. Got it. Okay. Thanks, Daniel. Thanks, Henry. Thank you. Thank you. The next question is from Kerry McCurry of Canaccord Genuity. Please go ahead. Hi, good morning. Just wondering if you could give us a little more granularity on the grades you're expecting at Sir Morrow and uh, El Pignon for Q4. Good morning, Kerry. Uh, Jason, you have these numbers. Yeah, I think um, you know we've, we've seen pretty steady grade at the um, at, uh, at Sir Morrow through through the year, despite COVID. You know, we're going to be we're going to be moving back towards reserve grade for, for Q4. Um, you know, Pennon is maybe a marginal uptick on, on grade as, as we move on here is what we indicated in, in MDNA of last night. So I think that's what, uh, that, that's the way to look at it. So the Q4, you know, the implied production, given the guidance is a pretty big step up. Is there any, you know, are, are you expecting pickups at the other assets similarly? Well, I think I think you hit hit on one of them. You know, uh, we've got full uh, full throughput uh, at Sierra Mora with the grade mentioned. I think also, uh, you know, Malartic was working its its way through um, some, some stockpiles as well. So we will see a uptick in grade there at Q4, and obviously with the tonnage that has a pretty uh, yeah. pretty big impact on the production level. So those are probably the big two, and and otherwise it's a steady steady as she goes across the operations. But uh, as you point out, it's pretty easy to infer what. Uh, what we expect for Q4 here. It's a very, it's a very strong quarter. And maybe a question on the Malartic underground. I mean, you mentioned in your press release, you know, getting to 20,000 tons per day. Just wondering if you could just sort of walk through how you get there, you know, from 2023 to 2029. Is that, you know, the shot coming in in sort of 2025, 2026, or is there, you know, multiple declines? Just wondering if you could just say a line that. 
Well, we have to complete uh, carry the uh, the PEA study that will be completed by the end of this year, early next year, where our team and our uh, at the mine site, the partnership team, and also our partner Agnico and us were working all three together to optimize the actual PEA study. You know, we'll have to make decision based on PEA and then mostly inferred resources. But like Henry mentioned, is very continuous as we see right now. You know, production from the open pit is still another set seven years to go until the 2027. We're going to see how and when we can bring the underground production into uh, from underground. Uh, as we start the ramp now in November, uh, you can imagine we're going to access for sure the Odyssey South Zone way sooner than 2027, uh, probably sometime in 2023. So there's potential that there's some production coming starting in 2023 from that zone specifically, but it won't be a very high production. I think our focus right now is mostly to see how we can increase you know, production in the open pit. We have ideas uh, that can extend or increase the uh, resources or reserve in the actual Barnett pit, uh, You know, the link between the Barnett and the, the main Canadian Malartic pit. There's potential to go uh, mine uh, other ounces. Uh, we mentioned the potential around in other smaller open pit on surface. So there's a, a lot of work going on with, with the, the, the partner and the two companies to see how we can bring the production, uh, you know, in that 27, 28, 29 years during the time that the shaft is completed. Uh, and, and it all depends when we're going to start that uh, completed and then, then go with the underground, full underground production. Great, thank you. Thank you. Once again, please press star one at this time if you have a question. The following question is from Mike Parkin of National Bank. Please go ahead. Hi guys, uh, just some follow-ups on uh, the Malarctic Underground. With respect to permits, is, is there any need to gain additional permits for the project? Uh, good morning, Mike. Uh, for the uh, the underground, we have already the exploration permit, so there's uh, there's no problem to drive the ramp even to go do a, a bulk sample. Sure, we're going to have to transfer that to an operation permit eventually, but that should not be an issue because the the infrastructure on surface won't change. So the the, the tailings are there. That's already permitted. The mill. Uh, as we have mentioned many times in the past, uh, when the, the tailings facilities are full, then we're going to put tailings at the bottom of the main Canadian Malartic pit, and then you can assume that the capacity of the boat pits, when they'll be depleted, and when the underground mine comes into production, there's going to be plenty of, of spaces. So uh, basically permitted is going to be a lot less or a, a lot less easy to obtain as you don't do any surface uh, expansion or work and it's basically underground so there's no BAP, there's no uh, public hearing I should say uh, in English uh, resulting from uh, going underground. So a lot easier to get permitted. Sounds good. Uh, the other thing with the ability to use the pits as tailing facilities for the underground, does that give you any you know, beneficial impact on closure costs that were allocated to the open pit? Uh, we 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 were driving a ramp right away from the two pits, so we won't use the pit for the underground. Uh, like I mentioned, we're planning to put waste and also tailings in the uh, mostly in the uh, the main Canadian Malartic pit. So that won't be really it will it will help the underground because we won't have any infrastructure to build on surface for tailings. But other than that, there's no uh, no real use on the two pits. For accessing underground, right? Okay, and then with uh, the ramp, it, it sounds like you know you've got the focus near term as well as expiration. So, in terms of you know a, a significant step up in the capital, you know, recognizing that this is still early days and we're still waiting on the PA, but your partner kind of indicated that you're not likely to have you know a constriction decision made off a reserve. It would be more off a resource when you go ahead kind of move on this is made so 
are we thinking kind of two or three years out before you would see significant capital getting spent on this project? Again, you made it clear. Uh, we will approve the project on the PA and inferred resources. Mostly there will be some uh, indicated, but mostly inferred. And we'll let the, the PA be completed, then make the decision. But we're, we're not many years away of, of capital. You know, we're starting the ramp. We know with the ramp development over the next two years, it's going to be ramp development, a lot of drilling happening from underground. And then if the PA is con you know, uh, give us the, the, the answer we think it's going to give us, then we go ahead, then we have to do a lot of the uh, engineering and ordering of the equipment. So, you know, there's already a lot of engineering done. Uh, you know, we have mentioned in the past the size of the the, uh, the shaft, the type of voice we're going to use, a, you know, a type of tonnage we think we can we can achieve from the, the underground. So I think as soon as that PA is out, uh, both us and our partner are going to have to make a decision if we go ahead right away or we, we wait more time to, 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 to do. If we, we go right away, uh, there's going to be capital spend uh, next year, at the end of next year, and then in 2022. If we wait, then it will be delayed by the amount of time we decided to, to postpone the project. But so far, I think us and our partner are quite excited about the project. The mine is excited. The... Uh, the PA looks uh, really good, what we have seen so far. It's not completed, but what we have seen so far. So we'll see in the new year, but I wouldn't be surprised that uh, that it will take uh, very long before we make the decision to, to go or no go. Okay, sounds good. And uh, switching over to the open pit side of things, you know, we saw really good throughput in the quarter. Is that... A function of Barnett has always historically been known to kind of be a softer ore source. Is that what's kind of helping that uh, hit you know close to sixty thousand tons per day? Yeah, you know, putting finally having Barnett into production that helping that's helping quite quite a lot. It's, it's good, it's better grade as you know, but grade going down at Canadian Malartic as we're at the bottom, uh, close to the bottom now. It's uh, getting better too. It's a softer ore for sure. Uh, yes, the Barnett, they did one of the big factor in Q3 was Barnett, and as we're going to move more into Barnett in the coming uh, months and, and quarter, then, then yes, it's going to continue to improve. You know, uh, we had great success in Q2 uh, in, in, in tons per day, same again in Q3, and then despite two shutdowns in Q3, so... It, it was remarkable that the mill was able to, to do the stunnage despite of, of two shutdowns. We have one planned in December. But you're right, uh, it seems the ore is, is more easier to mine in, in Barnett for now. But we're on just starting, so we have to see in the next uh, seven years. But uh, yes, Barnett is helping quite a lot to improve production at, at the mine right now. Super. Looking forward to the fourth quarter, and uh, thanks again for taking the questions. Thank you. Thank you. Our final question is from Tim Huff of Peel Hunt. Please go ahead. Uh, yeah, just a, um, a follow-up on, on one of the earlier questions, which is um, I, I know you're still firmly in production recovery mode as we head into year-end and, and looking forward to the fourth quarter. But as we, um, given what you've said on Sarah Morrow um, with respect to staffing levels, and potential production efficiencies. I mean, as we head into 2021, do you see more scope for cost initiatives um, in the year, quite simply because we've seen that from one or two of the gold producers over here? And I didn't know if your focus is shifting a little bit more from production recovery to, to cost initiatives going into the following year. Good afternoon, Tim. Yeah, Sarah so Moreau, you know, the first objective this, this quarter in Q2 was to put the mine fully back into production. We achieved that. We don't see that being an issue going forward. Uh, we have always worked on, on cost improvement. They have improved this year. Uh, they will continue to improve in Q4 as production is going to be significantly higher compared to uh, whatever we achieve in the first three quarter of this year. So we uh, you'll see in Q4 a uh, uh, big increase in production and then also on the same 
same token, you know, uh, a decrease in, in costs, cash costs and all in sustaining costs at uh, at Selomoro, uh, you know, we have a lot of fixed costs at uh, at our mines, and but as soon as you produce more ounces with the same amount of people, and there won't be any more people at the site with higher production, then our uh, our costs are, are going to be impacted. But like any of our mines, like the other four mines too, they have each year projects to decrease costs, being more efficient, and Selomoro is 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 doing the same thing also. Okay, that's great. Thanks. Thank you. There are no further questions registered at this time. I'll turn the meeting back over to Mr. Ressin. Uh, thank you, Operator. Uh, thank you, everyone, for joining us. We look forward to updating you on our fourth quarter and year-end result in February. Please take care and stay safe. Thank you, and bye-bye. Thank you. The conference has now ended. Please disconnect your lines at this time. We thank you for your participation. Thank you for listening to TSX Quarterly. If you enjoyed the cast, remember to leave a good rating. And remember, for any additional inquiries, please consult the company's investor relations section on their website. See you next time. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich, flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today.